Thank you for tuning into this episode of the Revolution and Ideology podcast. I am Nick. In this episode, we break down the new trailer from the film Judas and the Black Messiah, the biopic of Fred Hampton. Uh, I highly suggest, if you can, to switch over to our YouTube channel to watch this one because we break down the scenes visually uh, of what we're seeing in each of the scenes in the trailer and relate that to sort of the history of the Black Panthers and to Fred Hampton himself. Uh, but the audio is just fine as well. So here we go. Deputy Chairman Fred Hampton of the Illinois Black Panther Party. Thank you for tuning into Revolution and Ideology. I'm Nick. I'm Jared. In this episode, we are breaking down the trailer for a new and exciting film that will be released next year, Judas and the Black Messiah, which is a biopic of Fred Hampton. So let's get right to it. So why are we so excited about this film? Uh, I mean, we're excited for this film for a lot of reasons. Um, mainly, this it's this idea that... Uh, there's finally a film out there that we get to see where we're actually investigating all of the different ways that oppressed people are exerting themselves against their oppression. Um, we like to talk about agency. We have in like past episodes of our podcast where we're talking about revolutionary figures of the past, William Grimes or Nat Turner, or David Walker or whatever. Um, the United States is completely, at least in pop culture, bereft of true revolutionary narratives. And now finally, it looks like somebody is willing to tell the story of someone exponentially more radical um, than the traditional like civil rights leaders we're used to, to hearing about. Although Spike Lee's film X is amazing. It's been like 20 some plus years since it mm. came out. So finally, we're getting something like radical and revolutionary and that's the big thing that a lot of people i don't think understand about fred hampton is this wasn't just like traditional like civil rights this was full-blown like revolutionary figure and i don't want to like spoil what people will learn about in the film um but uh the dude was a badass yeah and and so i think it's important that we get to tell his story and again create new heroes for a new generation and maybe motivate some more radical agency today 100 percent, and i think I mean, first off, we have to say this is there's going to be spoilers because we're going to talk about what happens in Hampton's life. So if you want to go in without knowing anything about Fred Hampton, uh, you probably should turn off now. But I think it's also important if anyone listened to our panel sort of discussion that we did on Hamilton, we talked about how history has been a lot of stories of white men told by white people. And even Hamilton, the musical, is a story of a white man told by uh, writers and producers and a cast, people of color. This is the story of a hero of color, like you said, a revolutionary hero, uh, obviously told and performed by people of color. So this is like the next iteration of what we would want to see. And this is coming from major studio, which is, I think, the difference that we really haven't seen before, like you said, Spike Lee's film, and there's been a handful, but this is one in the modern times that is unique for sure. Like the icons of 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 a culture really define that culture, and now it's time for us to really change our icons. Yep. Um, enough old white dudes, like it's it's time for us to change our icons. So this is just another amazing opportunity uh, for us to to create a new icon that a lot of people surprisingly just don't really know about. I mean, they know about all, sure. their, all they're fed is Dr. King during the civil rights era, and sometimes a little bit of Malcolm X. Mm -hmm. it, if they're lucky, uh, and that about rounds it out. So yeah. this is going to be super awesome. Yeah, even in our class on revolution, when I do the lecture on the Black Panthers, I mean, I'm willing to bet half the people in the room have no idea what we're talking about mm. um, at this point, which is sad. Deputy Chairman Fred Hampton of the Illinois Black Panther Party. I'm the Deputy Chairman of the State of Illinois Black Panther Party, Fred Hampton. So who was Fred Hampton anyway? 
We see uh, in the trailer that Hampton is being played by Daniel Kaluuya, who was nominated for an Academy Award for his role in Get Out. He's also been in numerous films, uh, Black Panther, Queen, and Slim. I was first introduced to him as I'm assuming you were in the Black Panther or Black Panther Black Mirror Black Mirror episode, yeah. Uh, yeah. 15 Million Merits, which is God, still one of my such a, favorite such episodes. Episode. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and he does a super good job in that. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's who's playing Fred Hampton. Uh, Fred Hampton was an organizer for the NAACP in Chicago who, when the Black Panther movement really started going, uh, getting going, he became influential, obviously, in that movement. One of the sort of iconic moments in his story um, is Bobby Seale, another famous Black Panther, obviously, uh, is in the middle of a trial. And Fred Hampton gives a speech out in front of the courthouse um, that is just incredible. Uh, but anyways, Fred Hampton's up. I mean, he's 21 years old. Uh, when he gets killed by the police, spoiler alert, we'll talk about that in a second. Um, so he's basically like a young kid that makes, he's a community organizer in Chicago, hugely, hugely charismatic, a powerful speaker. Um, there's footage of him speaking all over YouTube and stuff you can find if you're curious. And he really becomes uh, a leader within the Black Panthers. His official title, he becomes eventually chairman of the Illinois chapter, which then makes him a deputy chairman of the National Black Panther Party uh, organization. He, as you we see in the trailer, emphasizes, like Jared said, full revolution. This isn't like a liberal movement. This isn't reform of any kind. Like Fred Hampton is a self-proclaimed uh, revolutionary, uh, a socialist revolutionary. He also emphasizes... Uh, unity in the movement, which is really, really important. But we'll get to that more in a second. As a result of just his charisma, his speaking ability, and sort of his role in the positions, he rises to national prominence. I don't want to say like overnight because that's never true, but he comes under the national radar like in a very short period of time. And he shows up on the FBI's radar, which we'll talk about uh, in a second. Uh, so that's really a nutshell on Fred Hampton. We could go on and on about Fred Hampton as an individual, but that's kind of that's the figure that that's, we're that's seeing. That's the movie's job. Yeah, that's the movie's job. Yeah, yeah. that's the figure that we're seeing depicted uh, in this uh, film. Repeat after me. You're looking at 18 months for the stolen car, five years for impersonating a federal officer, or you can go home. So in the clip we just kind of watched, uh, again, this is just the preview, but in the clip we watched, we see uh, William O'Neill and Roy Mitchell. Like, what what role do they play in, in history regarding, like, the events around Fred Hampton's um, life as a revolutionary and, of course, eventually uh, his being sold out? Yeah, so Roy Mitchell was an FBI special agent assigned to the Racial Matters Squad <laughs> yeah. in Chicago. He's played in the film by Jesse Plemons. Uh, who's actually an incredible actor in his own right and has been in so many films. I looked at his Wikipedia before he started this, and it's ridiculous. Um, anyways, yeah, so Roy Mitchell was the FBI agent that was uh, integral in Chicago in basically monitoring and overseeing the infiltration of the Black Panthers. William O'Neill, who we see, is played by Lakeith Stanfield, another incredible actor. Um, 
So William O'Neill was a criminal. I mean, he, he was arrested for stealing a car, car theft, and impersonating a federal officer, which it, it depicts uh, clearly in the trailer. Um, while he's in jail in Chicago, Roy Mitchell recruits him to become an FBI informant in exchange for a monthly stipend, which he gets paid uh, throughout his career as an FBI informant and all of the charges being dropped against him. So he basically goes free. Um, the film, I think, probably depicts it. It kind I get the idea that it depicts it as if he's already a member of the Black Panthers and then gets recruited by Mitchell. Actually, he was recruited by Mitchell to be an FBI informant before he was a member of the Black Panthers. When the Black Panthers opened their Chicago office um, in 1968, Mitchell tells O'Neill to go join the Black Panthers in Chicago, and he walks in on the first day of their organization and joins, and he becomes their local uh, chief of security and eventually becomes Fred Hampton's bodyguard, which is the fact that he sells him out. We'll get to in a second. but uh, So yeah, he's an FBI informant. Um, interestingly, uh, O'Neill encourages throughout this time the Panthers to acquire weapons, both le- legally and illegally, and kind of encourages them to take part in violent behavior. So not only is he like providing information for the FBI, but he's actively working on the FBI's behalf to try to get the Panthers to do like illegal More radical things, things yeah. to excuse what the FBI has. Planned. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, many sources claim that O'Neill himself provided the Panthers directly with weapons. Yeah. So there's that. Uh, interestingly, people have been trying to get O'Neill's FBI file released since uh, 2017. He died in, I have it here, I don't remember the year, the 90-something, 1990. Uh, he dies in 1990. So someone submitted a formal uh, freedom of information request to the FBI in 2017 to get O'Neill's file released. And it's been ongoing since then. The FBI responded basically and said that there's sensitive information in this file. So yeah. it's been assigned to a government information specialist for further processing. And then that's where it stood. Um, they did acknowledge in one of the letters that I read that his file is over 7,000 pages. So many people obviously are eagerly awaiting this because they know it will basically blow the lid off the COINTEL pro FBI operations and their specific efforts in infiltrating and taking down the Black Panthers. Right. And it's not unique to the story either. I mean, you know, those of you that, that, that know a little bit about the civil rights era, I mean, even the famous assassinations of Dr. King and Malcolm X, those files are still sealed. Yep. So even though we assume we knew what happened on those fateful days um, to both Dr. King and Malcolm X, no, we actually don't. The FBI files are still sealed on both of their assassinations as well. So yep. again, it's no surprise, or it shouldn't be any surprise uh, to anyone really that uh, all these amazing civil rights leaders end up with the same more or less fate um, in the United States. Um, and, well, interestingly, they yeah. released Hampton's file and it's two volumes. You can find it on the FBI's website or many other websites, but they won't release O'Neill's because right. he was an informant. It details how they recruited him and how much exactly they paid him and like all of this stuff. So it's, it would reveal a lot of their internal operations. Which well, and all of their do. breaches of constitutional oh, law. Yeah. yeah. All uh, of their yeah. breaches with constitutional law. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The Black Panthers are forming a rainbow coalition of oppressed brothers and sisters of every color. Okay, we see Hampton in that uh, section of the trailer discussing the rainbow coalition. So what is the rainbow coalition? I mean, there's not really a lot of ways to describe it other than it is a conglomerate of all of the various activists of that era, of the of the late 50s, mid-60s, early 70s, 
uh, basically this entire era, it is, it is. Fred Hampton is unique in this capacity, and that's why the FBI deemed him so dangerous, is that he was one of the uh, civil rights leaders willing to bridge the gaps between, uh, of course, the Black Panthers and, again, all of the other activists. So the Red Power Movement, which was an indi- indigenous movement, uh, so like American Indian Movement would be part of that, or what was going on when the uh, First Nation seized Alcatraz. The Brown Berets, which was a Latinx um, militant like activist uh, organization, um, and they can trace their origins back to like pre-zoot suits and stuff like that. Um, uh, additionally, like the Red Guard, uh, the Red Guard Party, which were like um, Chinese uh, street youth that were seeking equality, uh, especially in urban areas like Chicago. Um, the Students for a Democratic Society, which were also not just advocating for civil rights, but they were obviously huge in terms of like the Vietnam protests. Um, who else do we have in here? The Young Lords. Even a lot of the just regular traditional street gangs um, in, in Chicago, especially, of course, on the South Side, they were willing to kind of lay down their various beefs to work with Fred Hampton and create, I mean, literally a rainbow coalition, a coalition that crossed demographic, racial, gender, all of these different lines, which, again, a lot of civil rights leaders at the time, and even to this day, like when you see activism, one of the biggest critiques we have regarding like activists today is... Um, they don't necessarily bridge the gaps between each other, understanding that they're all fighting a common enemy. They all tend to think their specific issue, whatever that issue is, is more important than the other, and then it becomes a whose people have been more oppressed, etc. kind of discussion, rather than just everybody working together. I mean, there's power in numbers, and if all different groups of oppressed people um, came to challenge the system and work together, that's when actual change can take place. And Fred Hampton, again, um, saw uh, really the, the forest, right? Like, that's what he saw. He knew uh, that if you bring all of these groups together, especially in the late 60s, early 70s, you're going to be able to make um, massive, massive social change. And that is one of the main things that put him on um, on Hoover's radar, uh, the yeah. FBI radar. And that's what made him so dangerous. And that's when we're going to get to like the title of the film. But, but Nick will talk about that in a second. Yeah, you're exactly correct. This is what put him on the radar. This ability to join these groups together for a common cause. Mm-hmm. To convince them to stop fighting with one another. In fact, he negotiates peace deals between the gangs in Chicago Mm -hmm. so that they can join together in this effort. And that was really horrifying uh, to the FBI. Uh, Yeah, good. So that's the Rainbow Coalition. Okay, you can put your hands down now. We say all power to all people. We say white power to white people. White power to white people. Brown power to brown people. Brown power to brown. Yellow power to yellow people. Black power to black people. Black power to black people. X power to booze that we left out. Their aim is to sow hatred and inspire terror. I will learn all that I can. I will learn. These ain't no terrorists. All right, so we see in that clip Fred Hampton talking to a room full of kids in what we assume is a cafeteria. I'm going to assume it's a cafeteria because I know what they're talking about. Um, why is this scene here and why is this important to the Black Panther story? The Black Panther story is so warped in uh, K through 12 classrooms, in popular culture, uh, predominantly among like, again, like the, the, I mean, the super cliche, like white populace. They think it's like a militant like movement that is like anti-American and against all these American values. And and as we even see in the clip, um, labeled as a terrorist organization, when this is really just an organization that that is basically self-created by the black community um, to serve the black community because society as it existed then and arguably now is not serving the black community. 
So in this whole ideal of American rugged individualism and pulling oneself up by their bootstraps, you would think that Americans would respect the Black Panther Party because that's essentially what they did. They're like, well, society doesn't appreciate us. Still dealing with segregation in places, police brutality, um, socioeconomic inequality, all of those things existed and, and still do exist. So this party was essentially formed to solve all of those issues by like the community that is oppressed. Mm -hmm. So like basically pulling themselves up by their bootstraps and solving all of these problems. So you would think the nation would actually appreciate that based on its ideals, but we know how the United States works. And of course, that's going against the grain. We actually don't want true independence of individuals or peoples or organizations. We want dependence upon the system and dependence upon the hierarchy. Know your place, know your role. So the cafeteria here is important. One example of what the Black Panthers did is they fed people. We, we always see images of them with like a weapon or in the berets and the coats hanging outside of a building looking intimidating. That's, that's not really what the Panthers did most of the time. They took care of the community. So they had free breakfast programs, free lunch programs. In fact, very few Americans know this, but the free breakfast programs that like public schools use now, it's the Panthers that started that process. It is the Black yep. Panthers that started free breakfast programs that eventually public schools began to follow. Yeah, I have here in 1968, the Panthers fed yeah. over 20,000 children in 19 different communities. Right. They had clothing and food drives. Um, and that wasn't just for like the black community. That was for anyone in these. And I, I think they have chapters in like 68 cities. I have somewhere here, uh, Denver, San Francisco, or excuse me, Oakland. I shouldn't say San Francisco. Well, maybe San Francisco. They probably have one in San Francisco as well, but they're right next to each other. But anyway, you get the idea. Um, they had these programs. Um, and again, anybody was able to access like these resources that the Panthers were able to pull together. So clothing and food drives. Um, they had free health clinics because we know how mm -hmm. healthcare in the United States works it is an embarrassment. So they had free clinics for these individuals to be able to come and and uh, essentially for any reason uh sickness pregnancy all of these types of things they were able to uh, uh take care of people they had free uh sickle cell testing uh which is important they actually taught free self-defense training and not just like with guns or whatever like actual free self-defense training um to protect people that were living in the streets because again i mean it's hard it's hard um, they had free classes on political, uh, politics, like political science and economics. Why do you think they would choose pol political science and economics specifically? Why would they have classes on that? What do you think? Yeah, well, I know the, uh, their emphasis is socialism, right? So they're teaching and the, one of the reasons Hampton and others were so successful is getting people to put aside their differences is like... Hampton specifically talks about the proletarian revolution right. to help people understand how they are oppressed within the capitalist system. So you would teach classes on economic theory and so on to sort of enlighten people to what well, that looks activate, like. Activate the, activate the body, yeah. right? Activate yep. the body. One of the co other cool things that's often overlooked about what the BPP or the Black Panther Party was able to accomplish in and it was basically, these were called community survival programs. And in these community survival programs, they also had free drug and alcohol rehabilitation, of course, without the overt spirituality of some other uh, programs that you're kind of forced to, to choke down. So it's interesting to note that the Black Panther Party, through its community survival programs in the 1960s, was doing things that we're still asking for in the United States today. Mm -hmm. Drug and uh, alcohol rehabilitation, not criminalization. They right. were already doing that in the 60s. Yep. Free breakfast and uh, lunch programs. They were doing that in the 1960s. Clothing, food drives, free health care. They had free health care. Which is so ironic. And, that all of these things, like, 
Hoover makes a statement in a memo that says that the Black Panthers are uh, the number one threat to national security in the United States, which is just outrageous when you actually uncover what they were trying to do in their communities. Yeah. You can murder a liberator, but you can't murder liberation. You can murder a revolutionary, but you can't murder a revolution. And you can murder a freedom fighter, but you can't murder freedom. So that last clip, kind of towards the end, we see, again, it's just the preview, but we, we already know the story of Hampton. I mean, that's, that's our job to know. And we see what we assume is, is the cops just busting into his apartment. And this is probably the fateful evening where this man is, to be blunt, murdered by the state. Yeah. I mean, there's no other way to put it. He mm-hmm. was murdered by the United States. Yeah. I'm not going to go into super detail because it's like the actual, the whole assassination is really, really long and we'll do a full episode on it uh, later on. But yeah, as Jared says, Fred Hampton is killed uh, by law enforcement. They, using O'Neill's help, he provides them information about the weapons that they have in this apartment in Chicago where Hampton is living and provides them with a floor plan of the apartment, exactly how it's laid out and where Hampton's bedroom is and well, where he will be sleeping. Um, and in the middle of the night, basically on uh, December 4th, 1969, law enforcement breaks into the apartment. They really don't even knock. They don't, they don't give them a chance to answer the door or anything. They uh, basically open fire and they kill Hampton and uh, one other Black Panther, Clark, a team of 14 people raid the apartment. Um, it's interesting because the police immediately give an account of events, but what they did not do, which is their grave error, is seal the apartment. And so the next day, very clearly, the Black Panthers take control of the crime scene, and they you can find pictures of this. They provide tours. So there's a line on the street of people walking through the apartment to see what the police did. And so the police didn't protect any of the evidence, and it became very clear immediately that their version of events was not at all the events that took place, just like any layperson looking at what was going on in the apartment uh, could tell that. So the police say that hundreds and hundreds of shots were fired by the Black Panthers and that they shot back in self-defense. And a lot of this evidence comes out in a civil trial actually made against uh, the Chicago Police Department. And basically they conclude that they can't prove definitively that any shots were fired by any of the Panthers Other than the security that was at the door, he was asleep by the door with his shotgun. They think that he was shot through the door before the police even opened the door and he dropped his gun and it fired to the ceiling. And that was the only shot the entire time that was fired by the Panthers. Every single other bullet was fired by the police. Um, Also, every single witness that was inside, so all the Panthers say that the police went into Hampton's bedroom and he had been shot multiple times. They shot him through the wall and through the door before they even walked in. And he was still alive. And they say every witness in there that survived said the police pulled him out into the hallway and fired twice point blank in his head and executed him. And basically, even the words back and forth between the police officers are in this trial. They say uh, he might he might make it. And they hear the other police officers shoot him twice and say, well, he's good and dead now. 
this is nothing more than an assassination. I mean, almost everyone agrees at this point that that's what happened, that the police did this. Clearly, none of the police officers were ever charged with any crime weird, uh, whatsoever. So, yeah, after the investigation, I have here in my notes, the police fired around 100 uh, shots into the apartment and throughout the apartment. And literally the Panthers fired zero other than maybe the one from the shotgun that w- hit the ceiling as he dropped uh, the gun. But, yeah, uh, assassinated by the police. Uh, that's it. And we see this depicted in this scene in the trailer, which I'm assuming is going to be uh, one of the focus points for the film. We very briefly in the trailer see depicted a large-scale shootout in the street. At first, I thought this was the shootout in Los Angeles because four days after Hampton's death at the hands of the police, the Los Angeles police and their new SWAT uh, force, in fact, this is the first ever deployment of SWAT in Los Angeles, if it's a bit of trivia there, they go and have a shootout with the Black Panthers headquarters in Los Angeles. I thought that's what we were seeing here, but I notice if you freeze on the trailer... Um, you can see Land of Lincoln license plates on the police cruisers, meaning that it's taking place in Chicago. So my assumption here is that the writers and directors take some narrative liberty and have this shootout take place in Chicago, which would make sense because if it's a biopic on Hampton, you wouldn't take the story to Los Angeles. So I'm assuming that's what's happening here. We'll have to wait and find out what happens uh, in the film itself and see what's going on uh, there. We see a super quick shot. Uh, in the trailer of Deborah Johnson. She's played in the film by Dominique Fishback. Johnson was Fred Hampton's fiance at the time that he was murdered. And in fact, she is uh, eight or nine months pregnant with his child and laying in bed next to him when he's assassinated in the shootout in the apartment. So uh, their son, now known as Fred Hampton Jr., was born 25 days after the shootout. So we see that depicted in the trailer uh, quickly as well uh deborah johnson and her role in the uh film so why'd they choose this title why why is this film called judas and the black messiah yeah this is interesting because people would probably think this is like a piece of propaganda and hampton has a messiah but this term actually has origins it comes directly from j edgar hoover so it's interesting that the FBI and the COINTEL program must be part of the story because I didn't notice this at first until I looked at the credits, but Martin Sheen is credited as playing J. Edgar Hoover. So he's got to be in the film. Um, Hoover, if people don't know somehow, was the director of the FBI uh, and oversaw the infiltration of the Black Panthers uh, and all, all activists, actually, yeah, at the time, not just the Organization Panthers, of but, Women, yeah. Brown Berets, American <laughs> uh, Indian Movement. The, yeah, the FBI. So he's added, overseeing yeah. all of this nationally. And so he creates the COINTEL, COINTEL Pro, which is counterintelligence program to oversee all of these things. And I actually have a memo here directly talking from Hoover himself, the FBI, talking about the five goals of COINTEL Pro. I won't read all five. I'll just read number, number two, which is where this term comes from. Those, this is why he's called the Black Messiah. Number two, the goal of COINTEL Pro is to prevent the rise of a messiah who could unify and electrify the militant black nationalist movement. So goal number two of the COINTEL program uh, is to prevent the rise of a black messiah. He continues and says, um, Malcolm X might have been such a messiah. He is the martyr of the movement today. Martin Luther King, Stokely Carmichael, and Elijah Muhammad all aspire to this position. Elijah Muhammad is less of a threat because of his age. 
King could be a very real real contender for his position, should be uh, blah, blah, blah. He continues. Interestingly, so the FBI assassinates Martin Luther King eight months later, and basically they drive Carmichael out of the United States, so he goes Mm -hmm. into exile as a result of their meddling in Black Panther affairs, so they're both gone. And then Hampton uh, rises to prominence at this point. So at this time in this memo, Hoover's not talking about Hampton specifically, but he is afraid of this sort of messiah rising to be able to lead the people. And as soon as Dr. King and Carmichael are basically out of the picture, it's Hampton who fills this role, that who would be the next person in charge. And interestingly, Hampton... That was James Earl Ray for Dr. King. Yeah. Hampton was set to rise to a position within the National Party of the Black Panthers. Um, he actually had just gone out and met with the National Party. And so if he hadn't died, he would have very quickly risen to be the leader of that uh, at a national scale. So this is the Black Messiah that Hoover is talking about. So that's where the title uses this term, Messiah. Uh, Judas, very clearly, is William O'Neill, who sells out Fred Hampton to the FBI, uh, resulting in his uh, death. So that's the title, Judas and the Black Messiah. All right, so that does it for this episode where we break down the trailer of Judas and the Black Messiah, exciting film coming out in 2021. It was actually supposed to be 2020, but I think because of COVID, they pushed it back. What I do promise to our listeners and viewers is that we will do a full episode on the history of the Black Panthers, focusing on Fred Hampton. Uh, before the film actually gets released so that you can go into it knowing the full context and the full history and know what to look for in everyone's story uh, and so on. So I'm Nick. I'm Jared. Later.